Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for present. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner once again. Jeff is off this week. He'll be back on Monday. Happy to be with you, as has been the case the last few days. Till 3 o'clock, 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's how you can get involved. Kyle produces the big program. If you'd like to shoot us an email, you're welcome to do so. Scott.Warris at WTMJ.com. Scott.Warris, W-A-R-R-A-S, at WTMJ.com. It is September 11th. It is 2019, 18 years ago today. At this very moment, we were all living through history and living through a moment that... I think is uh, pretty accurately said, just seems surreal as it unfolded. I try to think back as to you know what I was feeling, and I, I'm willing to bet many of you have done the same thing. And if not, I would maybe you take a moment or two today at some point in time and just kind of think back some of the emotions and whatnot that you were feeling. 18 years ago today, and side note, hard to believe it's been 18 years already, but just the 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 feeling of something just so very surreal, as if you're watching something a movie as if you're experiencing an, kind of an out-of-body sensation as those images would come across the television or you'd be listening to it over the radio and in the two o'clock hour i'm going to devote a good portion of it depending on the call volume obviously I'm going to devote a good portion of the two o'clock hour to just simply answering the question where were you when where were you on this date 18 years ago, where were you when you learned about the attack? And then, as certainly uh, we watched things unfold over the course of uh, that day, that night, the next day, the weeks and weeks after that. And I'm also curious in some of the most vivid images from that day and the subsequent days that still stick with you now. I was going through, and there, there's so much great coverage of this out there, I was going through a couple different sites that were just showing pictures of September 11th, 2001, and some of the imagery of that day from the streets of New York, outside the Pentagon. And there are a few memories that I have, some images that I have, and we'll, we'll kind of have that conversation coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Um, end of this hour, we'll talk with Eric Bilstad. We'll talk a little bit about what's coming up this weekend for him. And for all of us involved in JDRF, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, one walk we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. It all culminates this Saturday, 1 o'clock hour. Something, I said this yesterday as well, we were discussing a bill out of California. Well, there's another one that passed last night that is set to be signed by the governor. And it could have some really lasting implications and ramifications for the rest of the country as it pertains to the gig economy that's one of those 
new terms that we have to become familiar with if you're not. The gig economy. So I want to get to the gig economy in the 1 o'clock hour. But right out of the gate here, one of the things that I've thought and been thinking about in relation to the September 11th anniversary date here today is how how do you as whether your parents or teachers or anybody who talks or comes in contact, maybe a coworker, comes in contact with somebody who is maybe too young to really remember what happened or, well, yes, what happened on 9-11, but too young to have experienced that day and those events the way many of us did. And what is happening now as we are 18 years out is that age gap between those who experienced it and those who didn't. It's widening. With every passing year, there's another boy or girl who was born. There's another generation building who does not know 9-11 the way many people do. And I am curious to find out how you or what you say when you explain 9-11. Um, maybe you've had to have this conversation with your son or daughter. As I said, maybe you've found to have this conversation with somebody you work with who is just simply too young to really have some of those memories. And maybe they were in kindergarten or first grade or second grade or just simply too young to, to kind of take it all in like so many others did. So that's where I want to start here today as we'll bookend the show with some uh, discussion about September 11th, 2001. And oh, uh, by the way, I should say I'm going to close the show today with a, a special kind of medley of audio relating to 9-11-2001, but also some of the moments and lasting audio memories in the years after. But anyway, this is how we're going to start. 414-799-1620, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Really relying on all of you out there to help me out navigate through this conversation here in this portion of the show. Because I'm just curious, what do you say if somebody says, tell me about September 11th, 2001? I don't remember it. I was too young. I was a little kid. I vaguely remember some images. How would you describe September 11th, 2001? What? What are the important pieces that you would want to express to somebody who did not go through it? That's how we'll start. 1215, we'll take your calls. Some texts as well, 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff is off. I am Scott. Welcoming your calls and texts at 414-799-1620. It's a lot of different ways that uh, Stephen Carroll covered uh, the September 11th date in different ways, and I know John will as well in the afternoon. And the the question that I'm interested right now in asking is simply, how do you, how would you, tell someone of of September 11th, 2001? How would you describe 9/11 for somebody who did not go through it? Is of an age? Maybe they're young. Maybe they were young then. Maybe they're young now, but they just. They didn't go through it the way many of us did. How would you describe that day to people? Uh, the 414 texter, uh, this MC from South Milwaukee says, Scott, um, today I took my six-month-old granddaughter over to our neighbor 
gave him chocolate hugs and kisses. He's a retired firefighter. Later today, I'm taking my four-year-old grandson to a fire station near his house and bringing them donuts. So that's one way to kind of explain to young kids, very young in that instance, about what this day is about. The 262. Here's what they would say. 9-11, they would say, is the reminder to all Americans that the at the end of the day, we are all Americans first, and everything else comes second. When that travesty happened, it did not matter what political party you supported, what color your skin was. Unfortunately, too many have either forgotten the importance of patriotism today or just simply too young to remember what happened on 9-11, to which my question would be, well, then what do you say to them? What do you say in describing 9-11? To the phones, to Wauwatosa and Julianne. Hi, Julianne. You're on WTMJ. Hi. How are you? I'm well. How do you... How would you describe September 11th, 2001 to somebody who was too young or not alive for it at all? Well, this morning, I have an eight-year-old granddaughter. When I sent her off to school this morning, she wore a red, white, and blue star and striped dress. Mm-hmm. And I explained to her, because it's 9-11, and she goes, oh, that's right. And then she goes, what is that? I said, it's you never forget. We've, it's important that we never forget. And I'm taping all the documentaries today that are on because she's interested and some of it's horrific to watch, but I want her to know what happened and how the country reacted. And her question when she saw some of it this morning was, why would anyone do that? And I have to come up with a reason by the time she comes home from school today. Why would someone do that? What, but, do, you think um, you'll, what do you think you'll tell her? How do you think you'll answer that? I'm going to say there's good and there's evil in the world. And some people don't value life, and evil takes over. And it just, it people don't care. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to watch it with her, mm-hmm. because she's only eight, but she's very interested. And to me, keeping it alive, keeping it out there, and teaching children in school what this really is, is important. One of the things that I... Value as well, Julianne, and I appreciate the call, uh, 414-799-1620, if uh, you'd like to weigh in. One of the things that I value is something that Julianne referenced right there, and that is what a lot of uh, television stations, especially the, the cable stations, are doing today, and that is perhaps replaying in you know somewhat real time the events of that day i know for a long time i don't know if they're doing it this year i haven't had a chance to look but msnbc aired their coverage from that day or maybe they they aired nbc's coverage but it was just it was in real time cnn has done something similar the history channel uh, nat geo has done that the smithsonian channel has done that and i find ve- I, I find great value in that and even as somebody who went through it, who experienced it, who remembers it. I was an adult at the time. I find value in watching those because, like Julianne said, the importance she found for her young granddaughter to maybe learn about it and feel that, I think that's valuable for those of us who felt it the first time around. Because as time passes, as years go by, and now 18 years go by, we're only human. And for those of us who perhaps were not who didn't lose a loved one, a friend, a family member in it, as time passes, 
some of those senses get dulled. It's only, it's only human. It's only natural. It, it's not intended. We're not looking to kind of block that out of our mind. But by reliving so much of it through what a lot of the television networks are doing annually on this day, I try to force myself to remember what I felt. And whether I want to watch it or not, whether I think, oh, I could flip the channel and, and watch this or that, I, I, I force myself and I have every year to spend some amount of time taking in some of that coverage, taking in that, those images, as disturbing as many of them are. Because it's important that, that I rekindle that feeling inside of me that has, again, over time, just naturally kind of been muted. 414-799-1620. We'll continue with more of your calls and texts next. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Scott in for Jeff, continuing here for a few minutes longer on the text line as we ask the question, how do you explain, how would you explain, how have you had to describe 9-11 to somebody who was not alive then or simply too young to really remember the the impact of it all as it was for so many of us? Um, J- John from Burlington on the text line. I would tell them that this day we lost our, complacent, uh, our complacency and uh, naivety. Or naivete, I beg your pardon. Mitch Sturgeon Bay, there's no honest way to educate a person not familiar with it other than to explain the human drama, the initial confusion, the stark realization, including the look on the president's face, the escalating terror of people deciding to perish in an inferno or jump, and the immediate action of those on Flight 93 and the first responders. We should remember both the horror and the heroism. The image of the president finding out about it is one of those lasting Images in my mind, and we'll get to that in the 2 o'clock hour. But to think that we as a public were in a position so rare to see the reaction on the, the, the reaction in real time, and still can when you go back and watch the tape, in real time, the reaction of the United States president when he's being told of the attack. I don't, I don't know that there's anything comparable to that in that way let's go back to the phones Winnicani and Jim hi Jim you're on WTMJ thank you for taking my call thank you as I talk to your screener I have a granddaughter a 16 and a grandson 12 in school they never teach that they never talk about it they're home they never talk about it so it's really hard to them to understand what it did to me I'm a vet tore my heart out and they just don't understand as you're trying to explain something like that. And they see the American people who still have their gap and all that on, that we still accept them. I said, because they just had just bad and no, they're bad whites, blues, greens, you know, it doesn't matter. There's still people, there still are people. They're just bad people. And, uh, and I, and it's so hard, and they just, they don't want to believe you. It's, it, you tell them and you tell them, but it's just hard for them because they, they can't feel it. 
mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is why I, I find that, you know, maybe some of the some of the the imagery, some of the documentaries, some of the television specials that are out there can somehow, in some, if even just small way, kind of make that connection where we as humans have a hard time you know expressing maybe to, to to somebody as best we can what that was like maybe them seeing some of that and hearing from victims but it it really is difficult i mean it's not easy to try and convey the gravity of that day to somebody who was not alive or too young to really there. get yeah. it yeah it's just it, it's I, hard like yeah. i told him i said it's just not 911 Every no. time I see a police officer, fireman, uh, a gentleman, not out against the lady, but more gentlemen were at, I shake their hand. I thank them for their service. I buy their coffee, their donut, their sandwich at Quick Trip all well, the and, time. And, and think about this, too, Jim, and I appreciate the call. I'm going to let you fly here. Thank you, Jimmy. Think about this. I, I, 9-11, as well, changed the way that Americans viewed first responders, firefighters, uh, certainly police as well, but uh, in terms of firefighters in this country, uh, EMTs, all, all those people and the police that are involved in, in being the first on a scene of any kind. You know, I, I, I think in some ways the, you know, the FDNY hats and those logos and NYPD and all that, they were brought to a place in the American conscious that they weren't ever before. And in the years and years after, I think they, they still have a place a little bit higher than people think more of them than they did pre-9-11. Rightly or wrongly, that's just, I think, something that's going on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Again, the 2 o'clock hour, we're going to double back uh, and continue some of our September 11th-related topics. And in the 2 o'clock hour, I'll specifically ask, if you would, be so kind as to share, where were you on September 11th, 2001? And some of the vivid imagery to this day, 18 years later, that still sticks in your mind. And for that, maybe you were in grade school or or uh, kindergarten even, but can remember some vague memories of and reflections of, of what was happening around you. I was talking with some of our uh, colleagues here at Radio City, and they're younger. They were in, in kindergarten or first grade, but they remember being taken home, and um, mom and dad are watching television in the one room, and but they didn't re- really you know, understand what was going on. So it, it covers a lot. We'll do that after 2 o'clock. Right now, just discussing how you discuss 9-11 with somebody who wasn't alive then or too young to experience it. To Milwaukee and Darren. Hi, Darren. You're up next on WTMJ. Hey, hey, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was telling your screener that I was active. I was, I'm retired military, but I was active duty uh, when this was happening, and we were actually watching it live on TV at work on base when this happened. And um, Where were you was, stationed? Uh, I was stationed in Bremerton, Washington, at uh, Naval Base, uh, mm-hmm. Naval Station Bremerton, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. um, I was so so when as that was happening, uh, as the second tower was was hit, uh, we 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 knew as members of the uh, security force that we we weren't going to be 
we were going to have to lock the base down, but they gave us a chance to go home and get some things settled. So I had to go home and tell my kids exactly what happened and, and why. And, um, you know, that, that we, there are people out there that just that, that do not agree with our beliefs and feel so strongly about it that, you know, they, they, they will sacrifice themselves and, you know, in, in order to, to hurt or put a dent in our beliefs. Um, and I, I'm, you know, they've since grown up, um, but I do have a grandson and my daughter and her husband and myself and my wife, you know, we, we tell them every year it comes around, um, every year 9-11 comes around that, you know, the, the same thing that, you know, he has to question why are we, you know, why, why is everybody so sad or somber, you know, of course he doesn't use the word somber, he's a little young, but, um, you know, uh, and we tell him, we, we tell him it's because, you know, it's 9-11, we lost a lot of, you know, we, this was the day that our country changed um, permanently and became uh, extremely aware that violence on our soil can, can be committed um, against us at any at any point in time if we don't if we don't become and stay vigilant. Right, right. I appreciate the call, Darren. Thank you so much. Yep. And um, he kind of alludes to some of the stuff we're going to do in the two o'clock hour. But there had to that day go home and explain to kids what was what was going on. No, look, the country, and I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before, the country was different. There was September 10th, 2001 and before, and there's September 11th, 2001 and after. And the fundamental changes, the mindset of how we think, I wonder if that was the same in 19, December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor. I mean, I, I certainly, that that was the only other comp if you will, in terms of violence, attack on U.S. soil, but in terms of the world changing. I'd love to talk to people, you know, those who who were around in the early 40s and experienced that. And, and just obviously it got us into World War II and that changed generations. So you could maybe make that explanation or maybe make the case in that respect but i wonder if it changed america in terms of innocence how you think about the world how you think about the u.s on the world stage i don't know i'm not smart enough to 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 try to put myself in 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 the place of 1941 december 7th but between that date and 9-11-2001, I can't imagine another date whereby there was a culture change, there was a generational change, in the matter of hours, really, in the matter of minutes, really, right? 1241, Scott Warrison for Jeff Wagner. Like I say, we'll come back in the 2 o'clock hour with more September 11th. Uh, reflections really and it's important we do this i hope you appreciate this uh, i think that even if if you think oh gosh you got to be talking about 9-11 again yes we do i really think we do because we can spend a few hours as steve did as i will i know john will as well we, we can spend some time doing this and we should spend some time doing this because you know i talked about those emotions those feelings with each passing year get a little more dull a little more muted if we don't do this, that's only going to continue to increase year after year. So it is a good thing, in my opinion, to bring ourselves back to September 11th, 2001, to relive as best we can the memories, the feelings, and the emotions. When we come back, President Trump, uh, a short time ago in the Oval Office, 
um, holding one of those press gaggles and answering questions and commenting on a number of issues, uh, the John Bolton firing slash resignation, whatever you want to call it, yesterday. And he's also addressed the vaping epidemic in this country with some very strong words and uh, some rather strong policy proposals as well. We'll get you caught up on that as we continue. And in about 10 minutes, we'll talk with our very own Eric Bilstad about the WTMJ Cares initiative that he has undertaken in the last couple of weeks, culminating this Saturday, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation One Walk JDRF. Rolls off the tongue a little easier that way. The JDRF One Walk. He'll talk more about that. And Friday at noon, we're going to have a radiothon to the 12 o'clock hour here on Jeff's show. 12 to 1 Friday, we're going to hold a radiothon to help raise funds for JDRF and for the event on Saturday. Anyway, that's still to come before the top of the hour right here on WTMJ. I'm Scott Warris. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So as the president is off to do uh, in the Oval Office, he was uh, holding one of his impromptu press conferences, if you will. He and uh, U.S. Health Secretary Alex Azar uh, talking to reporters a short time ago. We don't have the audio yet because what they do is they sit there, they answer questions on everything, and then they release the audio or the video Afterwards, So it's either still going on or we just haven't got the audio yet. But this is being reported now by the reporters who are in the room. This is regarding the outbreak, the e-cigarettes, as CNBC reports, uh, the outbreak of vaping-related deaths and the illnesses that have caught, unfortunately, a lot of the federal government off guard. The FDA specifically just kind of seems a little bit behind the eight ball on this. So this is the news coming out of the Oval Office in the last half hour. The Trump administration is preparing to ban, ban flavored e-cigarettes as uh, federal health officials call for restrictions to combat an outbreak of mysterious lung disease that has sickened hundreds and killed at least six. That according to the health secretary uh, who is in the Oval Office with the president. Uh, reportedly, the FDA is finalizing its guidance to remove e-cigarette flavors other than tobacco from the market. Wow. Because children are attracted to other flavors, Azar said. It could take the FDA several weeks to develop the guidelines. Uh, the administration will also take enforcement action if it finds e-cigarette makers are intentionally targeting children. Azar and the acting FDA commissioner briefed Trump today on new data, or data, showing a surge in teen vaping. Uh, results from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's 2019 National Youth Tobacco Survey have not been made public. Uh, the meeting comes as members of Congress increasingly pressured the administration to rein in the e-cigarette industry. The Centers for Disease Control Prevention are investigating more than 450 cases of lung disease officials suspect were caused by vaping so that is the headline as it pertains to this he talked about a lot of stuff as he tends to do bolton and other things but again the headline and i know this hits close to home for a lot of people is that the administration is readying a ban on all flavored e-cigarettes because of the attraction that those have with young people 
amid the outbreak of vaping-related deaths. So the president and the FDA and the health secretary getting involved now on something that I think a lot of people would say is much, much overdue. We'll try to get you some audio about uh, the president or about Secretary Azar uh, as it becomes available maybe in the next hour, but that is something important, something noteworthy that has kind of developed here in the last couple of minutes. It is 12.50. Speaking of things noteworthy, we've been talking about the last several weeks, Eric Bilstad commandeering our latest WTMJ CARES initiative. The JDRF One Walk is this Saturday. Of course, we've been asking you to donate to join our team, make up a team of your own, and take part on Saturday. You can text the word CARES to 414-799-1620. But we're going to talk with EB coming up in just two minutes, and we'll also preview what we're going to be doing Friday to really help uh, push us past our goal of the, the fundraising effort that we have undertaken with your generosity. So we'll do that next. Don't go anywhere. Um, I'm going to want you to hear this conversation when we come back with Eric on WTMJ. Twelve fifty-three. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner. Joined in studio now by very own Eric Bilstead. Okay, Eric. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. So, and I, I give you credit because you've uh, commandeered, as I said, the, the latest WTMJ CARES initiative, and that is something that and you've done some really meaningful uh, projects with WTMJ CARES, as a lot of the staff have over the years. But this one is as close, I would imagine, is as close to you as any because you yourself have type 1 diabetes. Yes, and we're trying to raise money, $40,000 for JDRF, also known as the Juvenile Diabetes Mm -hmm. Research Foundation. And this is to raise money, whether it's for a cure to type 1 diabetes, to find a way to prevent type 1 diabetes, and also raise technology so you can live with the disease. I should mention type 1, dramatically different than type 2 diabetes. How? Because people hear, oh, that person has diabetes, Maybe they have certain stereotypes or, or ideas sure. in their mind, but how, how does it differ? Just Type roughly. 1 autoimmune disease, insulin dependence, so your pancreas doesn't create any insulin to take care of the, the blood sugar levels in your body. Um, and it happens at any time, and it can happen to anybody, and it just it, there's no way to prevent it. It just is a thing that takes place. Type 2... So it's can, not hereditary? Or can, can well, it be yeah, hereditary? Yeah, it can be hereditary. It isn't always, but okay. can be. Type 2 is different. It's a little bit more generally middle-aged. Uh, lifestyle is a big deal with it. Exercise, the okay. food that you are consuming all play a role, and your body just can't keep up with it and can't handle some of the things, and then your your pancreas doesn't work as well. There's no insulin for me to use as a type 1 insulin-dependent diabetic, so I need to inject every day. I need to find a way to get that medicine in order to take care of the foods that I eat. Mm. Uh, and if you don't, uh, if your blood sugar goes too high... First of all, no organ can avoid that, right? And you you're, can do terrible damage to your body long-term. Uh, lots of diabetics end up with heart disease, lose extremities because of circulation issues. They lose their eyesight. I mean, you can do some really uh, strong, terrible damage to your body. Um, if your blood sugar goes too low, that's when you can go unconscious. Yeah, it, it can be fatal, but oftentimes you'll see people that are you know, falling into the ground. They're confused. They're shaking. They're awake but not awake and you need someone to help help you basically get your blood sugars back to normal so you were diagnosed at an early age Seven. so you've been dealing with this for the majority of your 35 life. 35 years this october what was the toughest moment in your dealing with this because is it fair to 
and tell me I'm wrong. You you always do. <laughs> tell me tell me I'm wrong. But as somebody who is in his forties, mm-hmm. do you feel as if you have a, a a good grasp on this now? Because I, I'm curious as to the toughest moment. Uh, was it when you were diagnosed? Was it going through middle school or high school? Or, or and now do you feel like you've kind of been able to live with it as long as you have you've got this yeah well i think now yes i I think now in the middle age of my life um handling it just fine should i not have said you're in your 40s (laughs) i'm sorry apologize but as a kid yeah it was no it was rough you're seven years old i was diagnosed around october you know right around halloween yeah you'll never eat candy again by the way and uh you have to take giant shots for the rest (laughs) of your life so yeah it's terrible but Kids are fairly resilient, or at least mm-hmm. I was, so I lucked out there. I think the toughest part for me was growing into becoming a, an adult, you know, going to college and trying to figure out how to do that by yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I ran into some issues. You know, blood sugar's low, uh, ambulances being called occasionally. I mean, that, that kind of thing has happened. Uh, what's frustrating nowadays is that despite having good control... You can still run into issues. I mean, you've seen it. I mean, I, I've gotten a little low at times. It's even happened on the air before. And you get confused and you're, you're struggling and you can't get yourself back to where you need to be. You're not mm-hmm. right, quote unquote. So that part can still annoy you. It's still frustrating because you spend all this time under control. You're doing well. Yet, if you, if you don't pay attention, right. something can happen. So what is JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation? How are they... Obviously, research is in the name, yeah. but but what are they doing to to help young people and old people and everybody who has type one? It's especially? a three pronged approach. Basically, they're looking for prevention, they're mm-hmm. looking for cure, so they raise money for those efforts, and also to deal with the management of the disease, living with the disease, the technology that comes with the disease, raising awareness of the disease to those who get it. So, when someone is diagnosed at Children's Hospital here in Wisconsin, which by the way happens almost every day. Uh, they learn about JDRF immediately. They get all kinds of information on how to live with the disease, what you need to do. Here's who people you can talk to. Here's some caretakers, here's some dietitians, that type of thing. But the most important piece in my mind is that they're raising all this money that can either help you with the technology. Like I wear an insulin pump that 30 years ago I didn't have, which helps me monitor 24-7. Um, but they've also figured out ways to identify biomarkers that may be able to give you a red flag before you get diabetes. So how can you prevent it? How close are are we to a cure? Well, we're closer now than we were 30 years ago, and that's because of JDRF. And also, some of the research, by the way, they're doing right here at the medical college. I mean, some of it's happening here locally. So that takes us up to what we are going to do here Friday during the noon hour, and then Saturday as well. And it's something that we want all of you to take part in as well, whether you can be out with us on Saturday or can help us contribute on Friday with the Radiothon. Can you just hang through the news? Yes. And then we'll double back, because I want to give it uh, the time that it deserves. So, with that as a backdrop, um, after the news with Melissa, we will share and ask you to help us with this initiative that impacts so very many people. As we continue here on WTMJ, Scott Morrison for Jeff Wagner. Melissa's up next. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One oh eight, Scott Warris sitting in for the vacationing Jeff Wagner as we continue here on a Wednesday. And we continue with Eric Vilstad here in studio. So right before the news we talked about uh your own personal battle with the type one diabetes and really defining what it is. 
and the trials and tribulations you've gone through. I think it's important to kind of define what it is because people hear diabetes, oh, sure. they yep, think yep. Oh, that that's blood sugar and and you can kind of eat your way into it. Well, that's that's not get more type exercise. One. Yes, yeah, I mean that, which is not type one. Nevertheless, um, so. With that as a backdrop, you've been talking about what the, the JDRF does, and they've got their one walk this Saturday. But before that, what are we going to do? We've mentioned the Radiothon. Uh, tell us what our plans are for Friday. We're going to do this during yes. the 12 o'clock hour right here on Jeff's show. So what we want to do to make it as easy as possible, yep. we have all the information online right now at WTMJ.com. You can also text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620, and we'll send you the information if you're interested in joining the team or to donate. Mm-hmm. But obviously, as you know, Scott, it's always easy to make it as simple as possible for everybody. So thanks to you on Friday at noon for an hour we will be hosting a radiothon right here on WTMJ when we'll call out the number the folks from the JDRF are going to be here in the building and they will take our phone calls Mm -hmm. and they will take your donation and make Mm -hmm. it as simple as possible for you so you don't have to join a team if you don't want to you don't have to register for anything nothing like that you can just if you'd be so willing give us a few dollars we'll make sure we get it to the kitty Mm -hmm. as we try to reach $40,000 so that again is Friday during the noon yes, hour. noon hour Fridays. And, and then it all kind of culminates on Saturday, mm-hmm. as a lot of people already have registered. But tell us about Saturday and what's planned for the uh, the morning, the yeah, one walk. The one walk is Saturday morning at Greenfield Park in West Dallas. And uh, it's pretty cool. Good this choice is, of city. Yeah. <laughs> thought about Good you. choice. What's exciting about this, and I've been to a few of these, it's, it's cool seeing so many people with so many type ones there. I mean, you're talking about kids who at sometimes probably feel alone or feel different or, or get upset at the situation that they're put in. But here they realize they're not alone, that there are others like them. Oftentimes they wear their shirts like they have little teams that they're on and they all have shirts and team names and that type of thing. And all these kids there have been raising money for their team. So all that money goes to JDRF. So we have a team the WTMJ team, and there's a bunch of folks here from the station that are on it. I'm very excited that so many people from outside the building also have joined our team just because they want to walk with us, and that means the world to me. They just want to walk, um, walk next to you. Yeah. Well, either way, that's fine. I, 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 more than married. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they're all going to be there. 8.30 is the registration for that. We walk at 10, and all the money raised goes to JDRF. The, um, the text line, I, I want to just read this one from the 262. This is from Chris. My son, who is 17, a senior in high school, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes nearly two years ago. Hmm. We live in Walworth County, and it has certainly changed our family of five, but our son has done very well despite all those challenges. He is a champion USA and high school swimmer and lives a good life. The people at Children's Hospital are awesome and have made a huge difference in maintaining this disease for my son. We can't say enough about the staff there and it That's is awesome. that, that staff that helps those families adjust because it really is an adjustment I would imagine for the entire family. Yeah, it's, oh, it's an, a full, absolutely. a full. What would you say? Household change has to happen. And you know what? For me, it didn't really dawn on me until I was older. I think until I had my own kids, what hell I must have been putting my parents through. I mean, the, the idea of having to check on me every night. I mean, they, my mom told me when I, I talked to her about it a couple of weeks ago, she's like, I woke up every night to make sure that you were okay. Wow. And a lot of the parents that I've interviewed for some of the stories we've run have said the same thing. They set their alarms at 2 a.m., at 4 a.m. They go in there and the kids generally sleeping through it anyway, but they'll check their blood sugar, make sure they're good because they don't they don't want to have anything go wrong. There's a huge amount of fear and stress that can go along with it. Where are we 
in terms of tech, and we'll get into more of this on Friday, but where are we in terms of technology in, in somebody checking their or their kid's blood sugar? I mean, they are, have, have improvements happened so that it's less painful, maybe less obtrusive? What kind yes. of technology is being utilized now? Leaps and bounds. I mean, back from when I was diagnosed, when I had to use this giant, what looked like a laptop and get this giant blood sample and mm-hmm. like wipe it off and then wait another two minutes and like do all these calculations. Right. Now it takes seconds. People have a real-time meters that they wear so they can check it on their phone in huh. seconds. Parents have that too so they can follow their kid and just make sure they're good from afar if they're at school. Um, actually, it's funny. One of the, the board president of GADRF, when I spoke with him, he had an interesting comment. He said that, you know, if you saw what we're doing now with some of the insulin pumps and the different technology we have now, 25 years ago, you would have said, oh, that's a cure. Like that, that's that we're, we're almost there. We're not. We're not even close yet, really. But given how much we have advanced in a short amount of time, two decades is incredible. So Friday, 12 o'clock hour, get ready for the Radiothon, and then it all leads up to Saturday. If you want to get involved now, you don't have to wait until Friday to, right. to hear us give the phone numbers. Um, you can donate by texting the word CARES to 414-799-1620. Yeah. We'll send you the link to the website, to, to JDRF's website, all that good stuff, and um, WTMJ.com. But sometimes it's easiest to just text CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 414-799-1620. Yeah, and that'll just send you all the information so you can see it. We won't take your money via that text. No, It'll just give no. you a chance to see right. it, and then you can see, uh, read up on some of the great people that are in our mm-hmm. area that are living with it, and some are very successful and having a great time with it it's uh i i can't thank you enough scott first of all for letting us do this on friday but just uh the the amount of fans and different people around the building and around the the state that have texted and emailed about this is just it's awesome it just it's it's a good feeling so i'm glad that we're making a difference you have to be back here at 3 30 next tomorrow morning right or 3 a.m yes so go home Go to bed. Good night. All right. It's one We'll continue with more. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One eighteen. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner. I do appreciate you joining us on this Wednesday. Don't forget, after the 2 o'clock news, we will continue with more of our 9-11 remembrances. I will ask the question, where were you when America was under attack? I'll ask you to share some of the vivid images and the memories of what you were doing, where you were at the time you heard, and then followed all those um, events of those remarkable day. Still to come before, though, 2 o'clock, another big bill passes in California that could transform an entire economy, the gig economy. You familiar with that term, the gig economy? Mm, well, you should be, and there could have been a, a major blow to the gig economy based on what is happening in California. And like we like to say, oftentimes what happens in California somehow over time works its way left to right as you see it on the map. And we'll see. Anyway, we'll get into that in a few minutes. I mentioned last hour before we talked with Eric about the WTMJ CARES initiative that there has been a, I would say, a pretty significant announcement by President Trump and the administration within the last hour or two. The president and HHS Secretary Alex Azar have announced a plan to combat the e-cigarette, the vaping-related, the vaping phenomenon, and we've heard now the related deaths to vaping. They have announced 
that they're going to set forth and attempt to ban all flavored e-cigarettes. Anyway, we said that the audio had not become available yet. Uh, the little press pool in the Oval Office has now broken apart, so they've released the audio of that. This is, as I understand it, this is, you'll hear the voice of the President, and I believe also the other voice on this will be HHS Secretary Alex Azar addressing a topic that is certainly top of mind for a lot of Americans. Uh, vaping has become a very big business, as I understand it, like a giant business in a very short period of time. But we can't allow people to get sick, and we can't have our youth be so affected. And I'm hearing it, and that's how the First Lady got involved. She's got a son together that is a, a beautiful young man, and she feels very, very strongly about it. She's seen it. We're both reading it. A lot of people are reading it. But people are dying with vaping. So we're looking at it very closely. And, you know, if nothing else, this is a conference that's going to let people know about it because people are going to watch what we're saying. And parents are going to be a lot tougher with respect to their children. A lot of people think vaping is wonderful, it's great. It's, it's really not wonderful. It's, uh, that's one thing I think we can say definitely, Commissioner. It's not a wonderful thing. It's uh, got big problems. We have to find out the extent of the problem. It's so new. It's so new. But we're going to find out. And I hope that parents that, uh, you know, they have children and the children are a certain age, I hope they're going to be able to uh, make wise decisions, maybe based on what we're saying today. But the commissioner and Alex Azar, they're going to be coming back over the next pretty short period of time, a couple of weeks, with some very strong uh, recommendations. Can you tell us what the timeline is for taking those flavors off the market? So, yes. So it, it'll take uh, several weeks for us to put out the final guidance that would announce the all the parameters around the enforcement policy, and then there will likely be about a 30-day delayed effective date, as is customary with FDA's good guidance practices. And at that point, all flavored e-cigarettes, other than tobacco flavor, would have to be removed from the market. Tobacco-flavored uh, e-cigarettes, their, their manufacturers would, by May 2020, have to file for approval by FDA of their products. The other flavored product manufacturers can, at any time, also file, but they would be off the market until approved by FDA. Okay, so there you heard uh, the president. You heard HHS Secretary Alex Azar, the commissioner that the president was referencing, is the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Ned Sharpless. So they were the ones that were kind of holding court there inside the Oval Office. But the headline right now is that uh, this this group will set forth to ban all flavored e-cigarettes amid the outbreak of vaping-related deaths. Let's just spend a couple moments here before the bottom of the hour. What's your reaction to this? Are you in support of this? Are you happy the president is uh, announcing this initiative? Is this the right uh, tact to take, the right avenue to travel down in order to somehow cut off this alarming trend, which has kind of spiraled out of control without any regulation, has kind of caught, I think, many of the feds off guard a little bit. It's kind of gotten uh, out ahead of the regulatory arm of the federal government. But the news that you heard right there, that the administration is preparing to ban flavored e-cigarettes, 
as federal health officials call for restrictions to combat an outbreak of a mysterious lung disease that has sickened hundreds, killed at least six people. That is the headline of the day. Quick reaction time here. 414-799-1620. The Acunin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620. Your immediate reaction to this breaking news. We'll get to you in two minutes. Scott Warris, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Food and Drug Administration is finalizing guidance to remove all non-tobacco flavors of e-cigarettes. It's not a full ban altogether, but it's the non-tobacco flavors, including mint and and menthol from the market. The flavored e-cigarettes, that is the route that the administration is apparently going to take. Just looking for some quick reaction here in the time we have before 130. 414-799-1620. Quickly on the text line. 262, banning uh, vaping is well, not, is the right thing to do if you tax it. Again, this is the e-cigarettes aren't being banned. It's the non-tobacco flavored. That's the route they're going right now anyway. Anyway, banning vaping, this person says, the right thing to do. If you tax it, it'll be like cigarettes and never go away. 414, we've become a country controlled by fear. Hmm. Dave and West Bend, banned, illegal. How about a penalty for use? 920, this is stupid. There's nothing in vape juice hurting people. What is he thinking? A little bit all over the map. Hmm. All right, real quick reaction. Here we got a couple of minutes. Nancy in Walworth, you're on WTMJ. What's your reaction to this news, Nancy? Well, my reaction is I, I think that the, the flavors are wrong, but the deaths have been caused by uh, illegal THC oil and whatever they're putting in it. Um, nicotine is a highly addictive drug. Why don't we address that? But more importantly, we have 192 people that die every day in this country from an accidental overdose. Um, I just think it's, it's a knee reaction to, um, something at this point. So you think it's a knee jerk reaction to ban the flavors of e-cigarettes other than traditional tobacco flavored? Correct, because that's like let's uh, the writing's on the wall. Nicotine is a very addictive drug, and you know I don't understand why we're not addressing that. I'm addicted to nicotine. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to quit every other day. Um, if it, if the e-cigarettes, I don't agree with it. But if it's helping people to quit, then it's serving a purpose. Um, you know, what about Mark- the argument, Nance? Let me let me just interject real quickly. What about the the argument that because it is being made on on that end of things that the the varied flavors, the flavors and the variety of 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 those are what are roping in young people who are not traditional quote unquote smokers and are looking to wean themselves off by going the vaping route. They're being roped in for the first time because of the flavors. Yes, I, I think that's wrong. It's on the same level that I feel we have root beer flavored beer and grape beer. Um, I think it is targeting a younger crowd. But again, the deaths have been targeted to THC vape things that were made illegally with you know, God only knows what chemicals are in those. Okay, thanks uh, for the call, Nancy. i got to let you fly because I'm going to squeeze in one more call here. Sussex and Stacy, your reaction? I fully agree with the ban. It is, you are 100% accurate. The 
candy type of vape oil that they're using is definitely targeting the teenagers. I have two teenagers currently in high school, found out they have both vaped in the past, gave them a nicotine test, asked them if they prefer to have a cigarette, like the last caller said, and it was an absolutely not. It's these candied flavors that they're enjoying, and it is running rampant in the schools. Have they continued, if I may ask, Stacey, have, have your kids, have your teenagers continued vaping, or did they just try it once and a couple of times or whatever, and, and they said, no, n- never again? Um, my boys seem to understand it a little bit more. Um, the girls seemed it's all my friends are doing it. I think they understand because now they're, you know, mm-hmm. there's some penalties when you don't pass the nicotine test. But it's a case of, you know, all my friends are doing it. But they sure didn't want a cigarette when I tried to say, here, this is safer. Oh, that doesn't taste good. That smells, that stinks. So, like your last caller said, it's not the people who are smoking cigarettes trying to get off. It's these kids that go right to vaping because it's the cool thing to do now. And they're kind of drawn to some of the different flavors, the variety therein. Thanks for the call, Stacey. I appreciate you sharing that very personal story as it pertains to vaping. So that is the news of the day. I know that they'll have more on Wisconsin's afternoon news. This is a story that John Merkir and Melissa uh, continue to follow very closely, as do we as the president and his administration now decides to go headlong into the vaping battle. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. WTMJ listeners and fans, we are inviting you to join us Monday, September 30th for a brand new signature event. It is WTMJ 2020. What is it? Well, it's an opportunity for you to hear and see newsmakers, politicians, sports owners, many more of some of the most high-profile individuals in our state discussing the trends and issues that will shape the coming year, 2020. Come be a member of our live radio audience at this free all-day event. It takes place at the Northern Lights Theater inside the Potawatomi Hotel and Casino. WTMJ 2020 is sponsored by Annex Wealth Management and Acunet Mortgage and Realty. You can check out more details online at WTMJ.com. This is something that has been in the works for a while now. And there are, like I say, some of the biggest names in you name it. Politics, business, sports. And uh, like I, like we say, it's free. It's free. It's going to be happening all day, live broadcast all day, and you can be a part of it. Potawatomi Northern Lights Theater, and that is the last Monday of the month, Monday, September 30th. So it's something you want to start planning for as soon as possible. And we'll have much more as we get closer to that day. So the gig economy, you familiar with the term the gig economy? It's a rather new phrase, I guess you would say. The gig economy is a as is a free market system where you've got like temporary positions are more common than permanent positions. And organizations, the boss, if you will, contracts with independent workers for short term periods of employment. Okay? So the gig being the slang for kind of a job just for a little specified period of time. 
Uh, examples of uh, gig employees in the workforce could include freelancers, independent contractors, project-based workers, and temporary or part-time hires. Certain companies that would qualify as being part of the gig economy would be Uber, Lyft, Grubhub. You know, the, 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 those, those industries, those companies that utilize freelance employees, short-term basis. So if you get a kind of better idea of what the gig economy is. Well, the reason I have to define that out of the gate is because many are saying that what happened last night in California is something that will transform the gig economy. And I'm willing to bet many of you are a, an Uber driver. You, you you spend some time working for Lyft or your, you know, Grubhub, some of the, you know, all, all that stuff. The California Senate passed a bill that could force those companies like Uber and like they say other gig economy giants to reclassify their workers as employees. Well, what would that mean? Such a change... As the L.A. Times writes, such a change would secure labor protections for thousands of people across the state and deal a significant blow to companies that built multi-billion dollar businesses on independent contractors. It's Assembly Bill Number 5. But people in California would generally only be considered contractors if the work they're doing is outside the usual course of a company's business. What does that mean? As the LA Times details, companies like Uber Technologies and Lyft, which rely on many of us, many of you, on armies of drivers to service their customers, would likely fail that test unless they transform how they do business. Employees are entitled to a minimum wage and overtime pay, but neither of that is a common protection within the gig economy if you if you ride if you drive for uber or lyft you're not entitled to minimum wage or overtime pay and once again second day in a row we mentioned the governor of california gavin newsom a democrat who is friendly to both labor and technology has said he supports the bill so that's a signal that it'll become a law without a special exception for the gig economy so new york times takes up this article or takes up this story by addressing the critical question is how will because this gets to the point of how will the employees how will these independent contractors how will be the how will the uber drivers be impacted that's what we care about the most right well as the times writes the gig economy companies will react in the following way officials industry officials have estimated that having to rely on employees, because you're being reclassified as an employee instead of an independent contractor, they'll have to raise their costs by 20 to 30%. Uber and Lyft have repeatedly, and what does that mean? I mean, if, if these companies, if the companies involved in the gig economies have got to raise their costs, raise their rates by 20 to 30%, you know where that's going to hit? It's going to hit us. And hit those of you who use these industries, Uber and Lyft have repeatedly warned that they will have to start scheduling drivers in advance if they're employees, thus reducing the driver's ability to work when and where they want. And hasn't that been arguably the most attractive part 
of Uber and Lyft is that, you know what, uh, I got home at 5, I don't have dinner plans until 7 or 7.30, I'll uh, turn on the app, I'll put myself out there, and I'll be an Uber driver, I'll spend the next hour, hour and a half kind of being available to anybody in my neighborhood who is in need of an Uber ride. Well, now there's going to be more scheduling if they're employees, and now you don't have the freedom to kind of determine when you want to work. Experts said that there is nothing in the bill that requires employees to work set shifts and that Uber and Lyft are legally entitled, though, to continue allowing drivers to make their own scheduling decisions. We'll see if that plays out. In practice, which means... This is where the rubber meets the road. Uber and Lyft might choose to limit the number of drivers who can work during slow hours or in less busy markets, where drivers may not generate enough in fares to justify their payroll costs as employees. That could lead to a reduced need for drivers overall. Hmm. A professor at the University of California says it would still generally be advantageous for Uber and Lyft to rely on incentives like bonus pay to ensure they had enough drivers on the road to adjust to customer demand much more nimbly than if they scheduled drivers in advance. Now, some of the companies are not done fighting the bill. Of course, there's always a legal recourse to take. This is how we are in this country now. When in doubt, go to court. Uber, Lyft, DoorDash have pledged to spend $90 bucks to support a ballot initiative that it was essentially exempt them from the legislation. So there's some recourse that perhaps can be taken. But Uber has also said it will litigate claims from drivers in arbitration. They're going to try to lobby lawmakers to consider a separate bill that could exempt them. California cities will have ways to enforce the new law. Legislators gave large cities the right to sue companies that don't comply. So do you understand what what potentially is happening in California? And again, this is not something that is happening in Washington and thus will be applied across the country. This is not a story out of Madison and Wisconsin. But I think I think there's some value in just watching what is happening in other states, particularly in California, which, as we have seen historically, can sometimes set the agenda, if you will, for other governments across the country. As I said before, there's that adage that what happens in California slowly, eventually will, in some way, shape, or form, work its way across the country from west to east coast. And many feel that this is something that other state governments may look at. Hmm, California tried this. How does it work there? Maybe it's something that we should look at as well, especially for uh, governors and legislatures that are very cognizant and, and partial even to the union labor, right? Any reaction to this one? Especially, I guess, if, if you are of the gig economy, if you drive for DoorDash or Lyft or Uber or things like that. Do you, do you understand what is happening here in so far as, look, if you are now no longer classified as an independent contractor, if you now have to be classified as an employee, that puts the company, that puts Uber in a position to treat you much differently from a legal sense, from a business sense, treat you much differently than they have been all along, and in many ways kind of mess with the model of success. The explosion that we've seen from companies like this in the gig economy, the explosion we've seen 
is due in large part because of this model whereby you are an independent contractor, you work when you, in essence, want to work, and that flexibility between you, the independent contractor, and that particular lift, for example, that dynamic has proved so very beneficial for both sides that these companies have exploded and are so popular. 414-799-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 414-799-1620, especially maybe you're driving around right now. If you are a member of the gig economy, if this is how you make a living or at least supplement your income, be curious to get your thoughts. We'll continue next. Scott Warris in for Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Just one more note on uh, the gig economy and this bill that worked its way through the legislature in California. Um, some opposed it when he talked about the drivers. Here, here's the way Uber and Lyft have reacted as they try to do some lobbying behind the scenes and things like that, if not go legal recourse. Some opposed it because they worried it would make it hard to keep a flexible schedule, like I said, uh, New York Times writes. After Uber and Lyft sent messages to drivers and riders in California last month saying, hey, this bill is coming up, they asked them to contact legislators on companies' behalf. Aides to the legislators have said that they have noticed a spike in calls. The ride-hailing companies have sought an agreement that would create a new category of workers between contractor and employee. Then they're meeting with the governor now. But a lot of people are saying, keep an eye on this one. Keep an eye on this one, because if this passes, if this gets all the way through, if Newsom signs it as is, if if behind the scenes the rideshare companies, the gig economy companies in California are unable to alter this or maybe soften the blow of the legislation, if it becomes as rigid a bill as it would appear to be right now, this could be the first of a bit of a domino effect to sweep across the country. Keep an eye on it. It's interesting because, and it's sad, too, that there are states, and yes, no, I people have texted in, of course it's California, of course you expect this to happen. Yes, I, I am not surprised by the fact that this is California uh, that is doing this, but um, it just keep an eye on something that could alter a good thing. I mean, it's... We've hit on something here. This is a success for, for both both ends of the spectrum, for the company, for, for the drivers, for those independent contractors, a little extra money in their pocket, flexibility to pad their income. It's been a win-win. Hello, the customer. You didn't even talk about the customers. Talked about the that that's the third element, the third player in all this, who would be impacting most of the customers, because if, if you raise the rates, if you change the schedules, that that affects the rates for the rideshare companies. And in the end, the customers gotta foot the bill. All things to keep in mind. It is one fifty three. When we come back, we'll do this a little bit earlier because of the special things we have planned in the two o'clock hour. When I come back. Our very own Senator Tammy Baldwin reintroduces her Go Pack Go Act. We'll detail that. A store cashier in Tokyo has been arrested on allegations of stealing credit card information from over 1,000 customers using just one simple tool. You'll never guess the tool that was used. And I know I'm late to this party, but I have to mention it. Jerry Springer is back. 
with a robe and a gavel? It's a Wednesday edition of Great Scott. Let's get right to it. One fifty-seven. Time for today's Wagner Show edition of Great Scott. Our very own Senator Tammy Baldwin has reintroduced her Go Pack Go Act. I didn't know she introduced it the first time, so I'll plead ignorance on this one. It would, though, require cable, satellite, and other video providers to provide their Wisconsin subscribers with access to watch every Green Bay Packers game. Now you think, well, wait a minute, I can watch the Packers game. What's the problem? Well, according to Senator Baldwin, there are 12 counties that border Minnesota that are assigned to a Minnesota market and thus keeping Packers fans in those areas unable to watch the green and gold. Under the current schedule, the Packers and Vikings games are being broadcast on the same broadcast network at the same time four different weeks this NFL season, meaning Wisconsin viewers in a Minnesota-based TV market up there, counties like uh, Douglas, Bayfield, Ashland, Iron, and Sawyer, will see the Vikings game on their local TV station instead of the Packers. Senator Baldwin saying every Packers fan across our state should be able to watch every Packers game. In Wisconsin, nearly 400,000 people live in 13 counties that have been assigned to an out-of-state market. So again, keep an eye on this bill, Pack Go Act, by our very own Senator Tammy Baldwin. And I think, you know, for the most part, this is what I would call bipartisan legislation. To Tokyo, Japan now, where a store cashier has been arrested on allegations of stealing the credit card information of 1,300 customers. Okay? I mean, that's a sad story. That's a disrupting, a a disappointing story. He used just one tool. What do you think the tool is that he used to steal the credit card info of over 1,300 customers? Just one thing. He used his memory. The part-time worker was arrested for stealing the credit card details to buy thousands of dollars worth of online shopping items. The man worked at a shopping mall, allegedly memorized customers' credit card information while processing their orders, then recalled the credit card details later to shop online. He's got a photographic memory. Police have found a notebook with card details listed in it. That according to the source working on the investigation. Unclear if he's hired an attorney, but how about that? A photographic memory to memorize the credit card information of 1,300 customers as you check them out at the cash register. That is using your powers not for good, but for evil. And last but not least, I realize I'm late to this one. I am. But I had no idea until just a couple days ago that Jerry Springer doesn't have his old show anymore it was finally canceled last year i know it's on in reruns everywhere 24 hours a day all across the world but the old jerry springer show was canceled in 2018 he has a new one and it started this week called judge jerry he's traded his lie detector test for a gavel this week judge jerry launched across the country in nbc i don't think we pick it up here in our market He has a J.D. degree from Northwestern. He worked for two firms before transitioning to politics and TV. Uh, He told reporters this week, I was getting ready to stop TV altogether because we'd been doing it for 27 years. It was time to wind down. Then they came into my office about a month before we stopped taping and said, Hey, here's an idea, Jerry. You're a lawyer. Why don't we do Judge Jerry just like that? 
It does roll off the tongue. He says, I can see from a TV point of view why that makes sense. It's a daytime audience. It's conflict. It's my background, so I could see it. Judge Jerry. He's traded in the stripper pole for the gavel, I guess you might say. That is a Wednesday. Will you watch? Thumbs up, thumbs down, Kyle. Thumbs up! All right. I probably would catch an episode, and that would be the end of it. A Wednesday edition of... Great Scott! When we come back after the news with Tony Bedock, we'll spend some time asking you the question that I'm always intrigued to ask on unique days like this in our nation's history. Where were you when? So 414-799-1620. Where were you when we were attacked on September 11th, 2001? If you can share some of the vivid imagery that you still recall from that day as you experienced it live. Your calls after the news on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner is on vacation this week. I am Scott Warris. Pleased to have you part of the show at 414-799-1620. Before we get into the memories of 9-11, I have made the observation in watching some of the clips of the president and the uh, commissioner of the FDA and the secretary of HHS, Alex Azar. Uh, Alex Azar and NHL commissioner Gary Bettman separated at birth. If you get a chance, Google Alex Azar, Gary Bettman. Same person. Just throwing that out there. I'm making that observation. You can disagree with me if you like. 212, here's what I'd like to do right now. On this date, 18 years since the United States was attacked, and uh, we all lived through something, many of us, I shouldn't say all. See, that that's, that's, that's maybe a slip of the tongue there. Maybe I can say that everybody listening right now lived through it, if you are young enough, uh, that you did not live through it. That is not necessarily the case anymore. And that is one of the things we talked about in the first hour. As time goes by, as fast as it flies, we find ourselves in a situation having to explain 9-11 to a generation and uh, of people who, who just did not experience it the way so many of us did. All that... Being said, what I'd like to do now for the next little while here, as long as you're willing to share, is do what, uh, when I get an opportunity in in hosting, is ask the question that I I do on memorable days like this. Last time I did it, I can't remember if I was in for Jeff or for Steve at the time, but it was on the anniversary of the lunar landing 50 years ago. And we had a great discussion just walking through the memories of where were you when we landed on the moon. And many of you called in and gave your memories of, I was sitting on the floor, sitting on the couch, we just had dinner, whatever the case may be, the images of what you're doing, what you're experiencing in that moment, still so vivid, in that case, 50 years later. Well, here, 18 years later, I will ask, where were you on September 11th, 2001? And some of the most vivid images that you're willing to share. 414, from your own experience that day, 414-799-1620, the Accident Mortgage Talk text line, 414-799-1620. We'll uh, grab a call or two here. I'll let you know what I was experiencing because I still remember it vividly as well. Let's start in Muskego and talk to Bill. Hi, Bill. You're in WTMJ. Hi, how are you? I'm okay, Bill. Where were you... On September 11th, 2001. Um, actually, I was at uh, Mitchell Field. I had just landed on a flight, 
from Cincinnati to Milwaukee, and uh, I was in the air when everything was happening, and landed, and I noticed everybody crowded around the TVs, and I go, what's going on? And they said, a plane had hit the Twin Towers, and just right before that, the second one had hit. So I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this is just crazy. Um, and then I was actually supposed to get onto another flight uh, for a business trip in Philadelphia. I went to check in, and they said, uh, well, you can check in, but you're probably not going to be going anywhere. So I got my bags, went home, and watched everything happen mm. all day. Uh, took a walk. Actually, it was very eerie because there was no airlines or no flights in the air. And it was like these small little white clouds all over the sky. And it was, I've never seen clouds like that before. And that's kind of my memory of the whole thing. My wife was very worried, obviously. She couldn't get in touch with me because I was in the air all the time when everything was happening. So crazy day, mm-hmm. bad day. Thanks for the call. I appreciate you sharing, Bill. That's exactly what we're uh, doing right here. 414-799-1620. Uh, the text line, Beth, texting in, As homeschoolers, we were already watching the news when this all started to unfold. My eight-year-old crawled into my lap and asked me if the world was going to end. Wow. I told him no, but I wished I had someone's lap to crawl into because I honestly did not know. We will never forget. Uh, from the 262, I was driving to work on 894. What I will never forget is seeing fighter jets fly over Milwaukee throughout that next week. 414-799-1620. Bill, Randy, hang on the line. We'll get to you in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Kyle lines you up as we reflect on what we were experiencing and where we were when we first heard the news of what was unfolding 18 years ago today. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 414-799-1620 asking the question, where were you when you first heard about the terrorist attack 18 years ago today? Bill and Darboy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you doing, Jeff? I'm well. Your, rea- or, your reaction, uh, your memories from that day, where were you when? What, what are the images that are still really stark in your mind all these years later? I had just left my house to take my car to a mechanic, our mechanic, hmm. and my wife called me on our cell phone and said uh, a, a plane hit the, one of the Twin Towers, and I thought, it's probably a little commuter plane, somebody trying to commit suicide or got lost or something. And then I got to my mechanic and look at this, and he had the TV on, and I, as I'm looking at it, the second plane was coming in. And I went, oh my gosh, hmm. and, and the thing hit that and I was just stunned and all I remember is I got in my car I was on the way to work at uh, air, near the airport in Milwaukee and uh, then I heard uh, that a plane hit the Pentagon and I went oh my gosh and what's we- strange is that I had been on top of the Twin Towers in 1974 and I literally had a film camera and I took it up there and I went around the whole top and took pictures of all of Manhattan Island and uh, everything and I and I put it on Facebook once a year, usually right now. And um, I say, guess where this was taken from? And you won't know, and you think it's taken from a plane until you get the last picture. And there you see a, a, a square golden thing on the window that says Statue of Liberty. And you look through it, and you see a tiny little Statue of Liberty. Mm. But it has the view from the top of the Twin Towers. So, wow. but it was... Uh, there's, there, you know, 
the, yeah. the kids have to understand that their their age, you know, they might be 18 years old, maybe not been there. But Islam, uh, radical Islam, has been around for thousands of years. And this religion is not going to yeah, go Yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate the call, Bill. I mean, I, I want to try to get to a lot of people here. And I just kind of want to limit it. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, comments we can make on I just want to limit this specifically to your memories of that day 414-799-1620 Randy and Jefferson go ahead you're on WTMJ Hey how you doing today Take it away Randy what do you remember hey, So I was a pastor hmm. in Ohio and uh had had somebody call in a couple times saying boy you got to check out what's going on pastor and I'm I'm busy working sure sure I'll get to it so when I found out what was going on uh, our kids went to school about 35 miles away, so we went and grabbed them. My daughter was probably seven or eight at the time, and so as I'm watching all this uh, unfold, she's outside playing around. Well, she comes in the house just screaming, runs into the bedroom, shuts the door under her bed. So being the dad, I go in there, I get her out from underneath the bed, and she's just weeping. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, they're attacking again. And I said, that can't happen, Katie. I said, there's no planes in the air. And she said, no, they are. Well, what we found out was she had seen the fighter jets escorting President Bush uh, back to Washington. And uh, in her mind, at eight years old, she comprehended that they were coming again. And so it was just a poignant time for her kids as I sat there in the bed, you know, just saying, my dad's a World War II vet, and he, and he lived through Pearl Harbor. This is our Pearl Harbor. Yes. Yeah, it most certainly was. Thanks for the call, Randy. I appreciate you sharing that. 414-799-1620. This is a text from the 262. I was driving to a law enforcement conference in Eau Claire, and John Belmont from your radio station announced a small plane had hit a building in New York. Little did we know. Well, to the texture there from the 262, when we come back, I'm going to take this break in two minutes. When we come back from this two-minute break, I have that clip. I have the audio. It was John Belmont and John Jagler. They were the hosts of Wisconsin's Morning News back in 2001, and I have the audio that you are referencing that is how many of you, I would imagine, learned about it and how it unfolded here at this radio station, WTMJ, 18 years ago this morning. We'll bring you back that audio, and we'll go back to the phones as well as we continue here on September 11th, 2019. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff on vacation. I am Scott Warris. I just said that we had a text from the 262 that explained they were driving to Eau Claire at the time for a law enforcement conference, and it was on this station that they heard the news of the attack in the morning of September 11th, 2001. And uh, here is that very audio. From that morning, you're going to hear John Belmont and uh, our former colleague John Jagler. They were the co-hosts of Wisconsin's Morning News. And this is how the news broke right here at Radio City on the airwaves. John, we got a big story breaking in New York right now. Yeah, we're waiting for confirmation from everything that we have from our sources. But CNN reporting that a plane, perhaps a 737, has crashed into the World Trade Center. About 20 to 20 stories from the top of the World Trade Center building in New York smashed right into it. Video we're seeing shows a big hole with smoke billowing out of it. We don't have any more information than that. But a reporter who talked to some witnesses says it was a very large plane, a 
two-jet plane, a two-jet engine plane that smashed into the building. One of the twin towers at the World Trade Center in southern Manhattan, about four-fifths of the way up, there is a gaping hole right now, and thick black smoke with flames is pouring out, plus other smoke is being vented from the top of the World Trade Center. You heard John say the report of a 737 crashing into the tower. It is almost 9 o'clock in the morning in New York City, that building a major uh, commerce center, so you know that it would have been full of people to the time. That was my question. Would have been there? They can definitely see flames now shooting out of the building as well. And uh, this just coming uh, just to us right now is visual from uh, our in-studio monitors is all we have. We hope to get a status report coming shortly. That is the audio as it unfolded here with Belmont and Jagler. Back to the phones now. 414-799-1620. Renee in New Berlin, where were you on September 11th, 2001? I had actually just stepped out of the shower, and my phone rang, and it was my husband calling from work. He goes, oh, my God, isn't that sad what happened? And I said, well, what happened? And he says, well, don't you have the TV on? I said, no. I turned it on. I, I just, like, went into shock. I sat down on the couch, and I started crying. And my kids woke up and they came and they were little at the time and they came running into the living room and, you know, like, what's wrong, Mama? And I told them, I said, something really bad just happened. And I said, a lot of people are dying and have died and we have to pray for them. And that is a day that will be embedded in my head, that sight for the rest of my life. Same here and same for so very many people. Thanks for sharing that memory, Renee. 414-799-1620. Larry in Milwaukee, where were you when you learned of what was happening 18 years ago? I was in an 18-wheeler coming out of the Rocky Mountains headed for Seattle. My wife was with me in the truck, and we heard the news. And then my Qualcomm, which was the communication unit for my company, uh, started blowing up. We told us get into Seattle, empty your load, and head inward, inland, and don't stop until we tell you. And that was just scary as all get out. We got into Seattle, and people were just scrambling everywhere. Yeah, the fear of the unknown. Uh, oh. bl- blanketed so many businesses and industries and in so many different ways. Thanks for the call, Larry. i got to let you go. I want to try to get to as many calls as possible. We'll continue this after the news. Let me squeeze one more in. Uh, let me get to Dousman and Nina. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Nina. Hi. Um, thanks for taking the call. My husband was in New York City, and he was right there when it happened. Um my daughter called me that morning and said, where's dad? And I said, he's in New York. And she said, you better put the TV on. And as I put the TV on, the second plane hit the tower. I talked to, I called him immediately and got him on his cell phone. And, um, you know, he was unaware at that point what had happened yet. And um, we talked for a few minutes and I knew he was at that point safe. And then... The line went dead. And what was his, if I may ask, Nina, what, what was his business that day uh, that took oh, him to he New was York? Supposed to be, he was supposed to be meeting with the fire department at 10 a.m. Um, he sold um, computer-aided dispatching and government record systems and um, 
So actually, um, when I played this call, he was not here, and he's now here. Would you like to talk to him? Oh, I appreciate that, Nina. Uh, I'll tell you okay, what. Here he is. Well, well I'm, I'm going to put you back on hold because we got to get to the news, and um, uh, it might be an interesting perspective to share when we come back. Asking the question, where were you when you first heard of what unfolded on 9-11-2001? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff, off. I am Scott. We are running short on time, so for those of you on the line, I'm going to politely asked to kind of be as succinct as you can. I want to get in as many people as possible as you reflect on where you were when we were attacked 18 years ago today. I want to go back just to kind of complete a call. Uh, I believe this is now Don. This is Nina's husband. Don, Don, are you there? Yes, I am, Scott. Hey, Don. So you, as, as Nina was setting up, you were in New York that day, and you, had a, you, you were supposed to have a meeting with uh, members of uh, the... Fire Department of New York. Yeah, that's correct. I had sold a computer-aided dispatch system to the police department and had a meeting with the fire department to try to get them to come onto the same system. So I had just walked across Broadway around 34th Street, went up to the 11th story of an office building to meet with our business partner. And when I got up there, someone said a plane just hit the tower. So it must have hit while I was walking across Broadway, and I just wasn't aware of it. And we could see the flames. And uh, I talked to my wife on the phone. And within about a half hour before the second tower came down, we we walked, started walking down Broadway. And I bought a radio from a radio shack and was listening to it. And we got within about three or four blocks of the uh, second tower when it came down. And we were right, um, walked up as close as we could get to ground zero. And then we went to the hospital to donate blood. And uh, there were no ambulances pulling up to the hospital. And the doctors and nurses were just standing around outside with nothing to do. Real quickly, Don, yeah. and I'm going to move on to others then to sure. get as many stories as possible. How long were you, in essence, stuck in New York before you could get back home? Um, the next day, um, I was able to stand in line for about six hours to get a rental car oh and then uh got a rental car and drove home sure thanks for the call don i you sharing and you okay. and nina uh hanging on the line through the break uh let's see here's another person who was in manhattan on that day george in heartland you were there yeah uh, yes uh i'm a recent transplant to uh, wisconsin i was born and raised in new york and um what I'm hearing is a lot of people were watching it on TV and stuff, and I just want to bring up the counterpoint to that. Uh, when you were in Manhattan that, that morning, um, we didn't have smartphones and things. We, we didn't know what was going on. We know what we saw and what everyone was yelling about. And I, I remember um, making my way north uh, at one point and getting to Washington Square Park in Greenwich Village. And um, that was right about the time that the uh, Air Force jets had made their way over Manhattan and we're, we're circling the island and we just didn't know what they were and we didn't know what was going on. We heard rumors about the Pentagon being attacked um, and, and people were, were screaming and people were hiding under benches and, and crying because they, all they heard was the roar of the jet engine and, and you saw these things coming overhead. We didn't know if it was World War III and I, I'll never forget there was this one old man in a veteran's hat standing by the fountain and pointing at the sky with his cane saying they're ours, they're ours and I just remember like breathing a sigh of relief when I finally did look up and realize, wait, that, that's an American jet. We're, we're safe now, um, relatively speaking. 
And uh, that, that's that's probably the, the biggest memory I have from that day is uh, seeing that and just the confusion of it all, you know? There was so much confusion. Remember the, the as we learned later, uh, the the threats, some legitimate on the White House, that Flight 93 was coming for the White House or the Capitol. But you, you also had just in, in the fog of war, the reports that proved not true, but at the time you got to be better to be safe than sorry of, of maybe some car bombs, uh, you know, planted around Washington D.C. I mean, as I was talking to somebody here at the radio station, thanks for the call, by the way, George. I'm going to let you fly. A very unique perspective. I was talking to somebody here at the radio station, and I that was before I worked here, uh, as I said before, I was in college. But here at the radio station, they turned the lights off. They went on lockdown here at WTMJ because there was a a threat or, or a perceived threat or a rumor that radio and TV stations across the country were going to be targeted. People had no idea how many planes had been hijacked or or what other devices were going to be used against America. 414-799-1620, a couple of you still on the line. We will get to you when we come back here on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let's get back to the phones here. I'm going to capture uh, the last, uh, we got about four callers that have been very patient, and I want to grab them here. Let's uh, go to North Prairie. And Bob, you had a very unique occupation, at least you did in 2001 on 9-11. I, I did, Scott. Good afternoon. Uh, I was an uh, air traffic controller by trade at Mitchell Field. But about 10 days before this, I took a position down at our regional office in Des Plaines, Illinois, about a mile northwest of O'Hare. And I remember working that morning, and so I was kind of new to that side of the job. And a a woman came running down the aisle saying a a plane just hit one of the World Trade Towers. And, of course, we were all in shock, and we ran to the conference room, and we were watching it on TV, just probably like everybody else. And we saw the second second plane hit. Um, But, you know, it's... What's weird is that we didn't really have, like, a plan for stuff like that. I mean, we had contingency plans for everything, as you can imagine, but that wasn't one of them. And one of the uh, facilities we're responsible for, so we had oversight for all of the uh, air traffic facilities in the entire Great Lakes region, you know, including Ohio. And for those that know the story, one of the airplanes was going through one of our facilities, the airspace in Ohio, and that's ultimately the one that, that crashed out in Pennsylvania. And they're calling us because they're looking for guidance. And, of course, we've got, you know, probably eight to nine people standing around getting our collective heads together trying to figure out what do we do. Because, you know, people that are involved in aviation know that there's a, there's a piece of equipment in the airplane called transponder that gives you all the flight information, speed, altitude of these airplanes, but they turn those off. So all these facilities we're looking at was a raw radar target. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they're going, how fast they're going, what altitude they're at. So they were talking to that one. Yeah, Um, and you're right, Matt. I remember learning that, Bob, and you make the great point. Thanks for the call, bud. You make the great point. You plan in that industry, you plan for the worst. You plan for for airplane disasters and even hijack. But how how could anybody plan for something like that? A couple more here. Dave in Waukesha, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Scott, how are you doing? I'm okay. Where were you? Uh, I was actually standing in front of the TV on the phone waiting for my wife to get ready because I'd take her to the hospital for a, a day surgery procedure. And um, 
watched it unfold, at least, you know, shortly, at least the first plane. Then we had to take off and, you know, get to the to the hospital. And while we were at the hospital, I got checked in and all kind of stuff like that. As God is my witness, it was unbelievable. I mean, there was the doctors and the nurses. Doctors still in scrubs, for goodness sakes, all out there. Everybody's eyes were glued to the TV. It was surreal. I mean, it was just like, you know, every TV had it on, obviously. But it was just seeing, you know, doctors in their raw state. I mean, it was just like, never seen anything like it. It was just, yep. <laughs> still, you know, it, it still sticks with me to this day. It was like, Everybody, no matter what they were doing, like yeah, you said, no even doctors in their scrubs, it just, just yeah, stopped. Scalpel and come on out, yeah. you know, that type of thing. So it was, it was unbelievable. Wow, it um, was. It was It was very, very much unbelievable. Thanks for the call, Dave. I often say that the word unbelievable, one of the more overused, misused words in the English language. A lot of people say something was unbelievable when in reality, no, it was very much believable. 18 years ago, that was, up until that point, absolutely unbelievable. One more, Tom in Greenfield, got about a minute here. Go ahead, Tommy. Well, I think I, had, well, I was coming, I was at work, and all of a sudden uh, they let us know uh, I was in a manufacturing place on the other side, and then on the north side of town, and all of a sudden uh, we all heard about that. We all went to lunch from there to look and see it, and uh, see what was going on and everything else and stuff like that. Then I called my parents and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, later on in the day, I don't know if you heard this or not, was fight out the gasoline was going to go to five or ten dollars a gallon. We all uh, went, everybody went uh, packing to the gas stations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I still remember all that, and it's kind of it's it's it, everybody bonded together. It seemed like uh, we all didn't know what was going. Uh, we watched national news and everything else. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You, you do. Uh, conjure up one of the vivid memories that I have as I was uh, that year I, I was a commuter uh, from college so I, I still lived at home and on my ride home that night I vividly remember going down in that case uh, 84th Street southbound and several gas stations along the route long lines cars lined up because they were fearful that gas prices were going to skyrocket because war was in the Middle East was who knows how how close and who knows how expensive gasoline prices would get. And here at the end of the day, long lines. Remember if you remember that too, perhaps uh, long lines at gas stations around this area and around the country as people tried to fill up, get extra gas before, like Tom said, gas prices would go over $5 or whatever. It was just the unknown. Is that, is that something that's going to happen as people prepared for that? So many vivid images from that day. I appreciate those of you who called and shared and texted. Uh, it's not easy to remember some of that, but I think, I think it's important, as I laid out earlier in the show, I think it's important that we do spend time to recall and remember those images because then we can remember some of the feelings that we were experiencing that day. And if if all that happens, then we will indeed never forget. It is 2.50. Coming up next, uh, a special audio montage that uh, I put together that really encompasses, I think, and talk about conjuring back memories and feelings, I think this will do that for you. What happened 18 years ago today, but also what happened in the months and years after 9-11-2001. Stick around for that. Coming up in uh, two minutes here on WTMJ. 
Jeff Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase this week is brought to you by The Home Market. The Home Market, a lifestyle brand, interior design, and retail store in Milwaukee's historic third board neighborhood. Uh, again, my thanks to everybody who called and texted and uh, reflected on this unique day in our nation's history. Thanks to Kyle for producing the big program as always. Programming note, uh, we are off tomorrow. We have Brewers baseball. It's a day game. Milwaukee is at Miami. So we'll be with you. I'll be with you again on Friday. One more day in for Mr. Wagner and uh, we'll be with you Friday. Don't forget Friday's show, kind of a special noon hour. We'll be holding our radiothon in support of our WTMJ Cares initiative to support the JDRF One Walk that Eric Bilstead has championed so much. So uh, remember that coming up on Friday. That'll be our noon hour. As always, Wisconsin's afternoon news is uh, just around the corner. They'll have the very latest September 11th remembrances here locally and around the country. They'll have the very latest as well on Christian Yelich's injury. He is being reexamined as we speak back here in Milwaukee. They'll have the latest as they look ahead now, the long-term prognosis for his recovery. The news out of Washington with the president's administration taking on the e-cigarette industry headlong, planning to ban flavored e-cigarettes. So a lot of news. John and Melissa will have you covered coming up after 3 o'clock. I close this show today in a special way. One more chance for me to share with you some of the memories, the sounds of what happened 18 years ago today and in the months and years following. I'll talk to you Friday. Good morning, America. I'm Charles Gibson. I'm Diane Sawyer, and it's Tuesday, September 11th, 2001. But I can tell you what's the news down here in Washington, and it is Michael Jordan, probably the news all over the nation. He's given the biggest hint so far that he may return to the NBA as a player this season. C-100, 852. Something weird is going on. Yeah. We, the World Trade Center is on fire. This is at the World Trade Center. Obviously a major fire there, and there has been some sort of explosion. We don't fully know the details. American 11, if you hear Boston Center, I can please or acknowledge. The cockpit's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class, and um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Which flight are you on? I'm number three on flight 11. A plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. This plane flew directly into the second World Trade Center. Unbelievable. It looks like floors are just gone. Oh, my God, Ed, another plane just hit the World Trade Center. This is a deliberate act, Ed. Stop you right here. We do have an urgent uh, wire now saying another aircraft, unbelievably, has crashed into the Pentagon. Today, we've had a national tragedy. Two airplanes have crashed into the World Trade Center in an apparent terrorist attack on our country. What's that? I just saying it looked like he descended there. I don't think so. United 93, verify 350. We hear some funny noises. We're trying to get him. United 93, Cleveland, if you hear the center right then. United 93, that traffic for you is 1 o'clock, 12 miles east by 370. United 93, there is a report of black smoke in the, in the last position I gave you, 15 miles south of Johnstown. Um, and then you saw just a ring of fire, and I worked literally 60 feet away. It was the most horrific thing I've ever seen. We were able to get out, which is, uh, we're very lucky. In one sense, things will never be the same, um, with the memories and the things that we both saw that day. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people... Well, here all of us soon. Game 
ABC News is reporting that Osama bin Laden has been killed. We uh, ask all of you to go to your ABC stations for further details on that situation. For those of you staying with us, we'll be back for the ninth inning. Good evening. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda. USA! USA! 